0: This episode of the Curious About Cannabis podcast is brought to you by you, our dedicated listeners and supporters. Thanks to your continued listening, sharing, and donations, we've been able to continue the show free from third-party advertisers and sponsors. So, thank you. And if you'd like to learn about other ways you can support the show, visit patreon.com slash curiousaboutcannabis.
1: I'm Dr. Mary Clifton and we're going to talk about cannabis.
0: The Curious About Cannabis podcast is produced by Natural Learning Enterprises, a mission driven company dedicated to enhancing critical thinking skills and public scientific literacy about life in the natural world. If you like Curious About Cannabis, consider checking out some of these other learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises.
1: Come on Molly, it'll be an adventure, Phoebe called out as she followed Brother Toadstool. Brother Toadstool led Phoebe and Molly into a tunnel that went deep down into the ground. As they climbed into the tunnel, they found themselves getting
0: smaller and smaller and smaller. Our new children's book, A Toadstool's Treasures, takes young readers on an adventure into the fun and fascinating world of fungi. Learn more and find mycology-related learning resources, games, and lesson plans for teachers and homeschooling families at toadstoolstreasures.com. Biodiversity loss due to habitat loss and fragmentation is rapidly increasing around the world, with devastating consequences. Learn how you can help contribute to native habitat corridors in your community and reconnect with your wild neighbors at GardenWild.org. Oregon recently became the first state in the United States to legalize the medical use of psilocybin. As cities all over the country begin to decriminalize the use of entheogenic plants and fungi, it's time to have a serious discussion about psychedelics. The Serious About Psychedelics limited series podcast is coming soon. Learn more at SeriousAboutPsychedelics.com. You can learn more about natural learning enterprises at NaturalEDU.com. And now, back to the show. Hey everybody, this is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Uh, so Today, I'm really stoked to be joined with um, not only a doctor, but a really awesome educator. I'm always excited to talk to other educators. I'm here with Dr. Mary Clifton. Uh, thanks so much, Mary, for being willing to come on the podcast today.
1: Oh, thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, totally. I'm really excited to to share your story and to give people some context. Uh, Mary and I recently became colleagues under the Institute of Cannabinoid Medicine, which is a recently um, launched group. Um with several other names that I'm sure some of our listeners will recognize. But um, it looks like we'll get to have some opportunities to do some teaching together and developing some educational content. So really excited about that. But I wanted to take this opportunity to just kind of introduce people to um, your, you know, kind of unique story, because you're on the East Coast. And so a lot of the folks that I talk to are on the West Coast. And there's a I don't know, a very different um, dynamic between the areas as far as medical cannabis and uh, recreational cannabis goes. So um, I guess to kick things off, um, do you mind sharing with our listeners that are less familiar with you um, some of your background and um, kind of where your um, clinical focus is?
1: Oh, sure. I did. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm an internal medicine doctor. I've been practicing internal medicine for almost 25 years now. And uh, I got interested in cannabis and CBD after uh, I had uh, a couple of uh, significant Impactful experiences on hospice patients, uh mm. one of whom was my own brother who okay. uh died of colon cancer and had a very complicated and uh uncontrolled uh death with a lot of you know difficult symptoms at the end of life, and we never really got great control over them. Uh, And then shortly after that, I took care of another person that I loved a lot, a good girlfriend who uh, died with cannabis as really her primary medication to manage her um, conditions around the time of her, um, around the time of her death and ended up. Um, having a, she had a much better outcome, you know, nowhere uh, near the level of uncontrolled symptoms, really actually shockingly good control uh, compared to all of these years of hospice management that I've done as an internal medicine doctor. So then I started to look into it and realized there was probably a lot I didn't know and Mm. probably a lot that a lot of other people didn't know too. So that was five years ago and I've been uh, in cannabis ever since.
0: Wow. And can you elaborate a little bit on what you noticed as far as how cannabis contributed um to your friend's quality of life in those last years?
1: Well, sure. I mean at the end of life there's so many different issues. There's uh, you know, there's can there can be nausea and uh, weight loss, loss of appetite, some shortness of breath symptoms, mm-hmm. uh pain. Symptoms are very common and all of those can be oftentimes pretty difficult to treat under usual circumstances. So a lot of that went uh, poorly treated and poorly controlled for my brother who really died out of step. You know, he was in his early 50s when he died Uh, so it, it, it was a situation where you just don't expect to be dealing with all of these end-of-life issues at that point. And no. so part of, I think, what made his death so complicated was that he really hadn't dealt with all of those types of issues. He was, you know, sick and dying, but also having like a lot of psychic Concerns mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety and uh depression and concerns about what was going to happen with his kids and how mm-hmm. his wife would be for the for the next uh you know many years that she was alive without him, so a lot of those concerns I think you know are really difficult to manage without the right yeah. kind of counseling. And I think, especially for people who are sort of out of step with that, with their with their dying process, when it happens at the wrong time in life, it's really important to get the right counseling and okay. get those people, you know, feeling as comfortable as they can be with uh, with with the transition. So I felt like a lot of that didn't happen in a really logical, intelligent, uh, stepwise pattern. In that particular circumstance, but then just a few months later, when one of my girlfriends uh, developed a uh, recurrent ovarian cancer uh, process and was going through her process, you know, with cannabis in place, she had a remarkably smooth transition. And I mean, they're different people. She was probably yeah. at her baseline much more aware of, you know, the, the, the patterns of life and maybe could adjust a little bit better. But her adjustment was so much better with cannabis on, in place that I started to think about what it might be possible to do for all kinds of people. And actually now thinking about uh, mushrooms and psychedelics okay. and how amazing psilocybin is for this end of life experience and for people to be able to see themselves on a continuum or see themselves as, you know, fingers on a hand with all of all other life. Those things are remarkable things that some people have uh, have a very difficult time seeing and can get a chance to visualize with some assistance with some of these chemicals. So we're really lucky that our planet just gives them to us.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm glad you mentioned the psilocybin thing, because when you started talking about hospice, that was one of the things that really came to mind, especially, especially at the forefront here in Oregon, because we're voting on whether to allow... Um, you know, clinical use of psilocybin. We're also working on decriminalizing all drugs, which is sort of an interesting uh, thing that we're tackling all at once. Um, it's but fascinating, it's, isn't it? It is. It's it, happening. It, it, it is. It's it's happening faster than I expected it to. I I definitely expected psilocybin to be the next push um, after cannabis mm-hmm. in Oregon, um, but it happened way faster than I expected, which I'm excited about. It's something that I've studied and been interested in for a long time when i was in undergrad i initially was prepping for medical school to be a psychiatrist uh, because i eventually wanted to uh, find a way to study not just psychedelics but sort of the psychedelic class of compounds these these serotonin-like compounds that tend to have like very profound effects on consciousness Um, and then sort of ended up changing gears going the natural products route and getting stuck in labs but um. <laughs> it, it's it always
1: funny how life takes you on a track. I mean, I did, <laughs> it you know, fifteen years of uh practice in a uh, primary care solo practice and just took care of people, you know, got their mammograms, did their half smears, like made sure the diabetics had good good blood sugar control. And then at some point you just sort of look up and go, Well, now wait a minute. look like, is this really my life mission? Is this what I'm supposed to be yeah. doing? And 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 when it isn't, you do have to uh, figure out what that transition is going to be and try to do it as gracefully as
0: possible. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the key, the the grace of it all. Because um, yeah, you, sometimes when you take that step towards you know sort of um, you know this follow your bliss kind of thing, when you take that that step, uh, you don't always know where you're headed, <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I think maintaining that grace is is one of the the hardest aspects. That's Maybe really true. you just taking steps, yeah.
1: And sometimes and, I think what you think that the system needs or what you think you can mm-hmm. contribute ends up being different than what is actually needed or what you do end up contributing.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Sometimes the models you've built in your mind about the systems that you want to be involved in, as you get involved with them, you realize they're different than you conceived, and then your whole worldview changes a little bit. And uh, so that, that sends you on. And uh, before was your experience with cannabis use in hospice, was that your first exposure to like your di- first direct exposure to the medical use of cannabis? Or oh, were, I mean,
1: did... in my practice over the years, people would, uh, you know, people would uh, have me uh, do their card or offer, yeah, sure, you know, yeah. some opportunity to, you know, talk to me about cannabis or talk to me about a grow that they were getting involved in. But all of it seemed, I mean, on myself, when I was in high school, you know, did my body weight in cannabis. I I mean, in retrospect, I had a tremendous amount of untreated anxiety and it was at a time where if you had a problem with anxiety, you were just supposed to deal with it. It wasn't really like a, a diagnosis that anybody took seriously and we didn't go to therapy or anything. I mean, I grew up in, you know, the backwoods in northern way up in northern Michigan so it wasn't really a situation where all of that was recognized as a problem so I so I did have a lot of anxiety and I felt a lot better when I used cannabis but also I didn't really have control over you know what type I got or Mm -hmm. you know exactly what was going so so you just got whatever was available I don't think we really recognized even different types of products that that we could get Oh, yeah. So I had a lot of paranoia develop as like a, a, a unfortunate side effect but but I did uh, really enjoy being able to relax when I was using it uh and and nowadays there's of course all kinds of other mechanisms to manage relaxation and getting regular therapy using CBD for people like me with a uh, license that doesn't tolerate uh cannabis use but there's so much value for so many people who can access these products and, uh, and be able to take advantage of their, of, 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 all of these great effects.
0: Yeah. And it's, you, you bring out something really important. I think that a lot of folks that are, you know, roughly around my age and older, because I kind of fell in that same time period. And I also have, I have severe depression and anxiety. Um, So there's a lot of self-medicating in in my past, too, that is sort of how I got into studying pharmacology and chemistry and things, trying to understand why these things, you know, were affecting me and what was going on. But, um, you know, growing up in in the Deep South, you know, once again, a big stigma against going to see a therapist, you know, oh, you're seeing a psychiatrist, like, what's wrong with you? Um, Mm -hmm. And so, so there's, there are all these dynamics there that it, uh, and, and they, it wasn't popular at the time to do things like yoga and relaxation techniques and all these different, uh, types of tools. My wife is a mental health therapist now, and there's all these tools she has to train people to, you know, react to stimulus differently and all the, all these different tools. But (laughs) yeah, when I was growing up, that just wasn't really ever talked about or acknowledged seriously. And so I think there's a, uh, a big demographic of people right now that, have gone through a similar thing that maybe had anxiety issues, depression issues, whatever, and self-medicated with cannabis, uh, maybe in their teenage years or their college years or 20s, whatever, and then um, maybe never um, quite understood why it helped or you know anything like that. And now we're in this age of information. I mean, I keep telling people there's like a tidal wave building of cannabis science research. Uh, oh my God! Every year, it's a bigger push. I mean, 2020 has been the biggest year yet for cannabis research publications and the next year will probably be the next biggest. Um, yeah. And so it's exciting that, you know, you're out there now teaching people how to understand what cannabis is doing to the body and it's appropriate and inappropriate applications and things. Cause I'm sure there are a lot of light bulbs going off in people's heads that have done the exact same thing. Like, Oh yeah, I was anxious you when I was younger and I did use cannabis and never really thought about it.
1: Yeah, it's this whole chicken and egg thing like, you know, they'll say that people uh, that use cannabis have, uh, you know, higher levels of adult anxiety and depression, but then if they used it in their teen years, but then, you know, so were they using it in their teen years as a a medication Mm -hmm. or were they in fact already anxious and depressed and realizing it and and managing their symptoms because, you know, they were in an environment where other people weren't really listening or didn't really understand how to help them. So, and we'll never have the study where we take 10,000 young people and put half of them on cannabis and half of them without and then see, you know, how that all plays out. So to some degree, you really do have to rely on the comments from people who used cannabis when they were younger to be able to say, you know, I was handling the situation, uh, you know, the best I could with the tools I had and uh and and so there's there's probably that and there's probably also some experimentation just some simple mm-hmm. experimentation of young people where you just want to try new things and see what everything is all about but cannabis is a shockingly safe product you know i mean yeah. we have what do we have now something like 3500 years of recorded history where they <laughs> yeah. where it's been shown to be used for it looks like way back when for abdominal pain and nausea right. or loss of appetite Mostly abdominal symptoms, but you know, there's uh, nobody yet who's been born with uh, three eyes after having had an exposure. You know, we certainly can't recommend it in pregnant or breastfeeding women, uh, and we can't recommend it in young developing brains. Um, but but we have to recognize that really anything we use in those circumstances, we have to be very careful yeah. because every every uh, drug, even the uh, you know, ones that have been approved by the FDA have side effects and could have potential side effects on on a developing young brain. Yep.
0: Yeah, and it's it's always a a risk benefit analysis, uh, particularly in in pediatric care, because um, you're right. Like, I mean, I, I've spoken with um, you know other doctors that that deal in pediatrics or that deal in like women's health that do have to deal with, you know pregnant mothers that are using cannabis and everything. And it's the way they describe it is just like with any other medication. It's this very sensitive, delicate risk benefit analysis where you look at the health of the person and, you know, the the possible consequences and, and you work through that. Um, but that's yeah, that's the case with any medication whatsoever. Um, and so it's it's kind of important to keep that in, in perspective because we're still kind of wading through the, um, I guess, some of the, the knee-jerk reactions from previous decades and um, how they would talk about cannabis use broadly, where it's just always no, always prohibited. And and I'm sure like, you know, having a medical license, like I'm sure your hands are tied sometimes in, in what you can do because you're still working within this model of um, having to, you know, kind of walk a, a tight line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that does make for a short conversation when the conversation is just say no. <laughs> right. right yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you don't, there's no education. There's no, you don't get anywhere. Um, yeah, but
1: then when you start to look at the studies and you get great results with anxiety and depression, you can get some pretty remarkable uh, work done within ticks and Tourette's mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that, that community, the tremor and, uh, yeah. uh abnormal, uh, motor movement, uh, community, Parkinson's disease. Um, and, and then of course there's all of the muscle spasms, the multiple sclerosis team mm-hmm. that, um, it's it such a remarkable result with using cannabis that, uh, you know, it, it, it's obviously a, a drug that's very effective in a number of different realms. So, uh it, it's it's exciting to continue to add to the research, but it's probably not a time to wait for the research to, mm-hmm. you know, give you some particular data on your particular condition. It's just if you're if you're uh curious and you think it might work for you, it's probably time to, you know, get a quick consult with whatever mm-hmm. the condition is that you're dealing with and see how you can uh use the product to uh to your benefit or which and and at this point, I mean, it makes me laugh after having been a kid way back in the uh, 80s and trying to figure out how to acquire some and how to, you know, <laughs> right, just, yeah. be, I mean, guess it was just whatever you could get. And nowadays you're like, I don't want something that's going to rev me up too much, but I want something <laughs> that's going to keep me a clear head because I want to use it in the morning when I'm anxious yeah. or, or I really want something that's going to help me sleep really deeply and not only manage my anxiety, but knock me out a little bit. And so, well, I'll give you one for the morning, one for night, <laughs> try it like this, take it with this motor of administration. This is hilarious. This is yeah. a totally different, um, environment and really speaks to the fact that this is not, that this is, this is a real honest to goodness drug with pharmacologic effects that, mm-hmm. uh, that work in different personalities and in different people, different ways.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's something I'm, I'm really interested to see is, um, the eventual development of, uh, tools that'll allow us to, um, better measure some of the correlates of someone's physiology um to understand things about um you know the endocannabinoid system the endocannabinoid dome and be able to take it to the the next step of like okay we can understand your personal sort of profile and we can now understand better how the chemistry of a particular product might interact with that you know physiological profile i think we we still have a little ways to go but it seems like there are companies now you know focused on that at least from a genetics level trying to understand um certain genetic markers that might make someone for instance sensitive to thc i've seen some companies working on that um it's it's incredible to see how far it's come i mean sometimes it's yeah i I laugh in my head all of the time because the same way i mean i just remember having to you know uh just hassle somebody on the phone to see, you know, if they if they had any, and then when they do, you got to go right then and and try to get it, and then all of the the anxiety about just trying to make sure you make it home safely mm-hmm. without yeah. getting arrested. Was,
1: oh, I know. Like if you kids only knew, it was like walking right. to school, uh, you know, uphill both ways. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Yeah, it was and, really.
0: <laughs> in your in your experience with patients, what are some of the most common conditions that you're seeing that people are wanting to turn to cannabis for?
1: Oh, I think uh, I, I think my uh, particular practice follows sort of the rules of the road. I mean, most people mm-hmm. are looking to manage anxiety or mm-hmm. pain or sleep disorders, that makes up 70% of the people that are mm-hmm. coming to cannabis. And uh, I think that's great, because when I was in my private practice, you know, seeing patients, I, I'd have to see you back every three months for management mm-hmm. of your depression or anxiety, and then, um, and then, you know, I was in control of all of that. Mm-hmm. Either what, whatever whatever one of those conditions I was dealing with, you had to come back to me and get your refills and if you skipped uh an administration then you could have a lot of side effects dizziness yeah. headache all kinds of stuff so having uh having um it it really takes the control away from the patient yeah,
0: yeah. and
1: then it, it, and i i felt like everybody was always just handing their healthcare to me and being able to enable somebody else to be in charge of their healthcare was uh, was something that i could almost never do you know all of our training was really just to be an intermediary to the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I sometimes felt like a vending machine at the end of a long day. I mean, a usual day would be 16 patients, but if it was flu season and everybody was coming in and out of my office, it'd be 20, 25, you know, 32 patients a day. And then you're just running these Tamiflu scripts and, Mm -hmm. you know, repeatedly saying the same thing. And it, it, uh, It's very transactional. You know, Mm -hmm. people come in, they have a blood pressure issue. They don't want you to tell them to eat differently or move their bodies. They want their prescription for their uh, diuretic or their uh, ACE inhibitor. Mm -hmm. And then the blood pressure goes down and everything just keeps right on rolling. So that's the way, that's what I did for years is just hand people their blood pressure pills and their cholesterol-lowering pills. And four or five years later, they'd have a heart attack or they'd have a cancer. And it was kind of the way that life was supposed to be this was the way that healthcare was delivered and this was my patients expectations but when i talk to people about cannabis it's so much different because (laughs) you know if you have a bad day if you're in pain if you're really anxious you take more if you are having a good day and you feel fine you don't need to take any at all there's no withdrawal if you don't take it and uh and and over and over you know studies will support that if the patients in control they take a lot less medicine yeah. so it, you know once once people can get out of the mode of just tell me what to do just i just want you to tell me what to do once they can uh, really uh, embrace that control and take it back then uh we have you can have really great outcomes with these products
0: yeah and, and you're you're highlighting this move that's been sort of percolating in the healthcare world for a long time, which is individualized medicine, individualized Mm -hmm. healthcare. And, um, you know, so one thing that I wanted to ask you is when you were sort of in that mode of kind of doing the same thing over and over again, I mean, it it does sort of program the patient to not think about their own health that much because they're just coming to you and taking what they need, go home, you know, that sort of thing. But at any point, did you ever think, is this what I went to medical school for? Like I learned so much and I like have this ability to critically think and you know you know really tackle hard problems and and now I'm you know just kind of like going through oh. the motions.
1: Yeah, I thought that all the time. I mean, sometimes I just felt like I was standing here with an arm load of crutches, you know, and people <laughs> yeah. would come in with a busted ankle and I'd just throw a crutch under their arm, you know, mm, like yeah. I, I'm not eating properly. I'm not moving. I've got blood pressure and cholesterol, you know, and then, but it's hereditary. Everybody thinks that everything that mm. they're dealing with is because you know, um, their mother and their father have it and their brother has it, but they're all like living the same lifestyle.
0: lifestyle. Yeah. And that
1: was really driven home to me again, as if it needed to be when uh, during pandemic because my mother got sick and I was home taking care of my mother mm-hmm. and, you know, eating the same foods from my childhood and adding weight and getting, you know, um, more arthritis pain and, you know, having more trouble just getting through all of the things I needed to do during the day. lot less energy. Mm -hmm. And once I was able to separate myself again and get back on, you know, my typical meals and my, and the way that I move my body, it just, uh, it just, it emphasizes again that I don't think that any of this, I mean, I think possibly 10% of this is genetic. I mean, I think the way that your body falls apart, Mm -hmm. if you mismanage your body is genetic, you know, like Mm -hmm. if you're a Galbraith, you're going to have a heart attack and on the way you're going to get very heavy and deal with Mm -hmm. a lot of arthritis. Um, if you're on my father's side, you tend to be more cancer. They don't necessarily uh gain at the level that the Galbras do, but if they don't take care of themselves, they get cancer and so um but you know, the ones that do take care of themselves live really yeah. long uh lives and and do well so There is some genetics to what part of your system is going to break down, but in terms of this being like just a natural thing with aging that we all just get Mm -hmm. sicker and unhealthier.
0: Inevitable. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I spent a lot of time thinking about diet and exercise and talking to patients about lifestyle modification, which is really a hard sell. And uh, and after many years of trying to do that, I was like, I just got really tired of it. And then I thought, where really is my impact here. Where is my mission here? Because it's probably not in continuing this little practice for a few people. Yeah. And so I shut it down, and then uh, and then started to think about, you know, what other really amazing tools are out there that people are underutilizing.
0: Yeah, and so what did that transition look like of starting to think about cannabis consultations and education and everything more seriously? How did that develop?
1: Yeah. I mean, I did my own hospitalized patients the whole time I've been in practice. So I went into the hospital for a while because it's reimbursable and it gives you a lot of time off. You know, yeah. you're and when you're in the hospital, you're working insane hours. But when you're not in the hospital, you're right. not in the hospital. Yeah. So I and then I had this experience with my brother five years ago. And then I started to really think that there's so many people that could take back their health and not mm-hmm. need to be reliant on prescription therapies anymore, and be able to, uh, you know, uh, 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 be in control again and feel yeah. better, and not have all the crazy metabolic side effects that so many of these medications mm-hmm. have. So um, the more I explored that, and the more I looked into that, I uh, I, I started to shoot videos. I started mm-hmm. to just shoot three minute videos that instead of being like, here's a study on multiple sclerosis. I would look at all of the available data on multiple sclerosis, create a 40-minute video and then pull excerpts out mm-hmm. from that 40-minute video to make three-minute videos for my website and I did that for all kinds of diseases and just kept working on that in in, uh, in the background all the time. And now I have like 100 videos and about 10 hours of these deep educational videos Um and then we decided it was really time to develop a coaching community around those educational yeah. videos. That we need really an army of people that understand how to use cannabis and are able to deliver it to their communities. So that's how all that came to be. <laughs>
0: nice. Yeah, yeah, just a natural progression. It reminds me of a lot of my work um, with the podcasts and everything. You know, I I tackle sort of a, a very different side of cannabis than you do, but it's it's very similar in that I. I put together these these podcast episodes. I take clips out that I think are very, you know, informative. I try to talk to experts in the field as well as patients and stuff to share perspectives. And now it's grown to I was looking at it the other day and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I've got like months of content here. Like if someone were to just watch, you know, all of these interviews and all of these excerpts and everything, it all of a sudden becomes this huge thing." Uh, and so where I'm at now is like I'm how can I organize all of this? around topics like pharmacology or, you know, uh, uh, cannabis safety, all these different things. Um, um, so it's, I could totally relate. I totally relate to that, that sort of organic evolution, um, of content making and everything. Uh, one thing that's on my mind as we talk about the use of cannabis and sort of finding it as a, the safer alternative, um, that doesn't have the severe withdrawal, um, symptoms and stuff is a lot of medications. How do you conceptualize um, how cannabis fits into an overall, um, I guess, healthy lifestyle? Because um, through talking to multiple doctors, a common theme is is that, you, like you mentioned, that when you feel good, you don't necessarily need it, and you don't take it, and you don't want cannabis to necessarily become another crutch. Um, and so a lot of the doctors that I've talked to say that it's really about Um, while using cannabis sort of as a stepping stone to teach patients how to think differently about their health, about their diet, about their movement and all of that. So how do you conceptualize how cannabis fits into an overall sort of lifestyle model on how to to optimize health?
1: I really think of cannabis, CBD, uh, CBG, CBN, all of the different cannabinoids as potentially some of the most powerful adaptogens. Especially Mm, now when we're all under so much pressure and stress, we have all of our usual pressure and stress. And then we have, you know, uh, uh, the pandemic that has just quadrupled everything and everybody is always on edge. So having, uh, something that can help you to relax all of the mushrooms that, uh, uh, turkey tail and the ashwagandha, Mm -hmm. very powerful adaptogens. But, but boy, you can't underestimate the value of, imprinting memory and managing trauma, even this collective trauma that we're Mm -hmm. all experiencing, managing it in a way that's going to imprint it in a very safe and effective way in your brain. Because I think a lot of us, as we go back on this, uh, this experience of this, you know, supercharged fall that we're dealing with and these rising cases Mm -hmm. and just so much fear, it's going to be a time that You can definitely imprint memories in a really negative way that are going to impact you for the rest of your life. So having some tools that allow you to, you know, relax and engage in a very safe way and allow your brain to uh, properly take in fearful experiences, but then Mm -hmm. add the appropriate layers of emotion, you know, Mm -hmm. through the prefrontal cortex and then put those memories away through the hippocampus and the amygdala in very safe ways is critical right now. I, I don't think that anybody should be dealing with an endocannabinoid deficiency right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, my wife is already seeing the effects of this year, just um, mental health communities, um, particularly out here. Uh, and I'm sure everywhere um, are seeing, you know, record caseloads. Um, yeah and, and not just basic, you know, ang- I say basic, but not to underplay it, but um, basic anxiety and depression, but like serious, um, yeah, trauma responses, PTSD, like um, symptoms, really heightened anxiety, panic attack disorders. Um, and it's, it's gonna, you know, we talk about a lot, but like, this is just the beginning of a trickling out of effects from, you know, the intense sort of adrenaline sustained, um states of being that we've, that a lot of us have been in this year, um, mm. it's, it's, it's going to be a while before we totally wrap our arms around what exactly has happened and just how, um, it's affected people. But I know that the effects are definitely very serious already. And on something that you just mentioned, uh, you know, talking about the pandemic, I think it'd be worthwhile to, um, take a moment to talk about, um, cannabis and its effects on maybe the immune system. And I'm, a lot of people have questions about how cannabis might affect COVID-19, how it might affect someone's chances of catching any disease, that sort of thing. Um, and I know the research is sort of all over the place right now because it's also new as mm-hmm. far as COVID-19 goes, but can you speak a little bit to... Um, you know how people should think about their cannabis use in a time where they're worried about you know catching this virus yeah. and if they have the virus, how's it going to affect symptoms? That's
1: immune of modulation. Absolutely, yeah. the immune modulation related to cannabinoids. Um, the, I think my favorite study to support that these products are going to be particularly effective right now is the um, immune modulation. Uh, in this, in a, in a, it was in a rat study, and mm-hmm. and usually I don't I have a, do a lot of discussing about rats because sure. you know, um, or or I make some snide remark like this is you know generalizable to attorneys or something like that, <laughs> depending on the crowd I'm in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but but this it's rat true. model study <laughs> is really a pretty valuable study. It was a a, a cage full of rats and a, and half of them got CBD uh, pre-treated, and the other half didn't, and then they were all exposed to uh to um the flu to rat Mm -hmm. flu and then the uh the the group that was uh exposed to cbd prior to getting the flu didn't get as seriously sick from the flu Mm -hmm. they still got sick but Mm -hmm. they um but they were still able to eat and drink more food they were even interested in playing in their mazes and running on their little um run circles whereas the other rats got the exposure and were just really down and out you know, uh, sick and laid out and not able to eat or drink and not interested mm-hmm. in playing. So it was a big difference and it was a difference enough that, uh, you know, it, it reminded me and I'm sure makes you think about like when the flu is coming through town and some people are just laid out in their bed, sick as a dog and mm-hmm. other people are going back and forth to work. They're kind of managing. And that's what we're dealing with now with this pandemic. You know, we just have so many people that are, uh, You know that are are getting sick, and it's sort of an unexpected thing which person is going to uh, is going to get sick. You really need to be able to manage your immune system response to this infection. Your immune system needs to, of course, fight off the infection, but not create some you know over overcharged super response that leads to a whole bunch of mucus accumulation in your lungs and just a just an excessive immune response. So the immune system response needs to be balanced, and yeah. you know how to achieve that balance so that you can achieve survival from the from the infection is a uh, you know is a is a million dollar question yeah. know, nowadays. So that's very exciting review that you can see cannabis modulating the way the body is responding to influenza virus. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's not coronavirus, but we have data on the cannabis affecting uh, the immune response to hepatitis, which is, Mm -hmm. of course, another virus, and West Nile virus, um, influenza virus, and uh, one other somewhat common viral infection that's escaping me right now, but quite a bit of uh, good research showing that it can modulate the response, the body's response to viral infection.
0: Yeah, and it, it ties into the the adaptogen piece that you were talking about because a lot of people um, may not realize that sometimes, and it's kind of become highlighted with COVID, with the cytokine storm uh, stuff that that people are now learning about. But you know, a lot of times, um, what kills a person sometimes um, with a disease is not the disease itself, but the body's response to the disease if it overreacts. Um, and so sometimes when we think about, um, immunosuppression, uh, we think of that as a negative thing. i like, oh, that's gonna, you know, make you sick or get you sicker or something. Um, but sometimes immunosuppression can be a very good thing. If what you're trying to do is prevent your body from having this overreaction, um, uh, to this foreign invader, that's, that's coming to your body. And it reminds me of, there's a CBD study on, um, anxiety and stress, that showed a similar response to stressful stimuli that um, people that were exposed to CBD um, before a stressful event tended to have a uh, lower blood pressure, lower heart rate in the presence of that stimulus um, mm-hmm. than the control, yeah. which is, it's really fascinating. It just highlights this. I don't know. I I'm not a fan of the word homeostasis because a lot of times it gets sort of twisted out of its uh, intentional meaning, but it is sort of that, that kind of Damn. balance balancing effect. Yeah. Just a,
1: a restoration of balance, a, a restoration of balance where balance uh, wasn't existing before. Yeah. My favorite study about anxiety is about a group of college students who were dealing with generalized anxiety yeah. disorder and they invited them to um, to the study and then treated half of them uh, with CBD and left the other half alone and then gave them an IV and an MRI.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Two horrible things to go through. <laughs> yeah. but but, the, but, the, uh, but, but both of them, you know, uh, actually led to really great data because it was a functional MRI, a PET yeah, scan. Yep. So you could see how the how the blood was moving in the brain and how the brain's response to the stressor was impacted by having CBD in place or not. Very elegant study, even though it was a small study yeah. and, uh, and definitely showed really nice responses, much improved results to management of uh, stress and anxiety when CBD was in place um and and in in a group of kids who had anxiety disorder to where they were having a hard time going to class you know so um and and impacting their social lives impacting their college Mm -hmm. experience and this was you know just a single dose of cbd but absolutely at every 30 minute interval measured at 30 60 90 120 the full you know three hours worth of evaluation They reported reduced anxiety and better able to manage the stress and their brains manage the stress better. So we really do have some powerful products here for so many people who um, who who oftentimes need more help than I think we are. uh, We're willing to recognize.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's the the critical piece that we're willing to recognize.
1: Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> oftentimes it's just like, I mean, you're fine, right? You'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, right. yeah, and then and
0: and, and people manage themselves their outward appearance so well sometimes too. Like I, I'm sure both of us know from having anxiety that it's sometimes, e- even though it takes a lot of energy, it's it's becomes a tool that you present yourself as as fine, um, and a lot of times don't express what you're feeling or that you're having a hard time. Um, for whatever reason and you just try to blend in while you're just secretly suffering Um, yeah
1: I think there are a lot of people who are in that situation for sure
0: yeah and uh, are there a question I always like to ask physicians that I talk to are there areas of application that you see cannabis not being appropriate for or sometimes Mm. maybe um, uh, contraindications and that sort of thing
1: well, there are probably some tremors where it's not providing as much benefit as we think it is.
0: Yeah. There are
1: some circumstances where people are getting benefit, but the benefit is really primarily from managing the anxiety surrounding the condition rather mm-hmm. than actually managing the condition. So there there are some pretty powerful Parkinson's disease uh, studies that show that there really isn't a change in the intensity of the tremor that people are dealing with with the Parkinson's, but that they're anxiety anxiety and the sleep disorder that commonly happens with Parkinson's is control. And so sometimes the, uh, the, the benefit of this medication or how this medication is working is, uh, is, is, is not as entirely clear. And and there are a lot of cases where we're, we're not going to see, you know, large, uh, multi-center population, you know, that trials where, where we're looking at 10,000 people because you're looking at millions and millions of dollars. And it probably isn't appropriate at this point. We know we have a safe product. And, you know, if you want to see if it will work for you, it's very reasonable to talk to somebody and get some advice and, and give it a try. It's... um it's a it's a a really intelligent uh starting point for managing a lot of conditions that you might not have control over but yeah. some tremors i think may not be very uh well treated with them with with uh with cannabinoids
0: yeah yeah and you you uh just touched on something that i that i talk about a lot that um you know the the issue with the clinical trials around cannabis you know a lot of them as you mentioned are uh, relatively small samples, um, and a lot of people wonder, like, when are the the, the big cannabis studies going to happen? And e- you've now highlighted multiple reasons why that's challenging. One is the IRB approval. So, like you were saying mm-hmm. with with kids, like, it's going to be a little hard to get a review board to actually approve a study where you're giving kids cannabis, and mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. You know, observational studies that's a little different because then the person's doing what they're doing, and you're just documenting you know what you notice and and go Mm -hmm. from there but actual controlled study um before you can ever step into a clinical study you've got to get irb approval and that's not always straightforward especially with something like this but also yeah the, the safety profile of cannabis is very well established at least the safety profile of herbal cannabis and basic cannabis preparations um i always put like an asterisk there because we're moving into a world of all new products that like kind of fall into a unique category. We don't have thousands of years of, you know, sort of trusted information about that we can probably trust, but we still need to kind of understand more about, but herbal cannabis, basic tinctures, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, we understand the safety profiles and something we haven't directly talked about, but that you're sort of alluding to is, um, and I may screw up the, uh, the technical terminology here, but, um, was it called like um, like self-reported uh, titration? Um, you know, where essentially a, a patient is able to uh, either through with their healthcare professional or by themselves titrate themselves based on how they respond and build themselves up and down. Um, which you don't have that luxury with a lot of drugs.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we have to, too, just get away from the randomized controlled trial being this gold standard and yeah. that you're not going to work with a drug or think about using a drug until you have this multi center randomized controlled trial that we need more data and you keep holding that up because that's that that's going to hold up a lot of valuable intervention yeah. for a lot of people. And the reality is population-based studies have been safe and valuable for us for years and years and years. Like. You You know, if you believe that you should sleep because Mm -hmm. sleep works. Or if you think that you should eat vegetables because vegetables help Mm -hmm. to reduce your risk of cancer, fractures, or all of the things that they do and help to maintain an ideal body weight. Um, You know, if if it appears that relationships are valuable to you and maintenance of long-term relationships Mm -hmm. will help you support a happy, healthy lifestyle and potentially prevent disease. If you believe any of those things, that's all population-based data. That's because we followed... 40,000 people over 30 years. And we said, you know what? It looks like people that maintain relationships and eat their vegetables and get their sleep and move their bodies, you know, do well compared to people that don't. We are never going to take, you know, 40,000 10-year-olds and put half of them on a Twinkie diet and half of them on a healthy diet and then come back and be like, oh, my God, it turns out Twinkies are not good, you know? Yeah,
0: maybe 150 years ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe and probably in certain populations. I mean, oh, my God, some of the stuff we used to do, it was like, how unethical can we get? Let's do that. (laughs) Welcome to medicine in the 60s. Exactly. But nowadays, you know, that's not, and, and, and it doesn't need to happen. I mean, we know Mm -hmm. certain things associate with, with a healthier lifestyle. So, so, you know, the same thing is true with these, uh, cannabinoids. You don't need to wait for these big studies. And most of the, uh, people that are doing the hard work and the research, Mm -hmm. a lot of it coming out of Israel, really, um, they're, they're doing small studies, small, Mm -hmm. very valuable, um, uh, uh, studies that show benefit, and then they're building from that small study, you know, based on thousands of years of population-based data showing safety and efficacy. So, uh, you know, the, the, that's we just have to back ourselves away from this. The mm-hmm. And the randomized controlled trial, I think the reason they rose to so much popularity was that, you know, they can only be done. By large, uh, uh, <laughs> um, pharmaceutical companies. They're the only ones that have the money. Yeah. So it really concentrated the power in the uh, medical industry into large pharmaceutical corporations. Yep. And as we wrestle that power away, you know, we're going to find uh, more and more that we just have to, uh, embrace and adopt different ways to, uh, explore new, new, web- new measures to control our health.
0: Yeah and uh, something that has me a little nervous on the hemp side of things is um you know even though hemp is now legal and technically the cannabinoids and you know chemical constituents of the hemp plant are legal the FDA still has not classified any cannabinoids as generally recognized as safe and sort of on one of the one of the hats I wear professionally is in um quality management and compliance, um, consulting for producers and and analytical labs. And something that a lot of people aren't aware of is that if, uh, let's say that the FDA decided tomorrow that, okay, we're going to treat CBD and all other cannabinoids from hemp as a dietary supplement, which right now they've been very resistant to doing. Um, If they said yes, immediately a lot of people would think that's a great thing. But if they haven't designated it as generally recognized as safe, then what that then does is it makes it where every company has to get what's called self-affirmed grass status, where you essentially get a FDA stamp of approval on your particular product or product line or uh, ingredient or whatever. And that takes millions of dollars to do, Um, usually. It takes usually at least a million. Mhm. And so mm-hmm, I'm I'm mm-hmm. very nervous that uh we might um step backwards a little bit pretty soon um once uh the FDA um kind of wraps their minds around what to do with hemp derived cannabinoids and CBD and everything. Uh and I I don't think the uh the market is prepared for that potential reality that it seems like they're they're poised to unleash.
1: You know, I wonder if they will. I I just I, there's there's this is really at at its at its origins a weed it's yeah, a, it's yeah. a very it's not I mean, i'm not going to say very easy to grow because i can't grow anything <laughs> or keep anything alive but um <laughs> But I mean, a lot of people can grow this pretty easily. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, uh, it's not particularly finicky, at least certain strains. And right. people do really, really well with it. And, uh, and, and there's, uh, you know, the seeds are already widely dispersed. It's going to be, I mean, they might be able to rein it in and, and start, uh, genetically modifying everything. But I don't know. There's such a groundswell against all of that already. It could go the way of corn and beets and so many other mm-hmm. uh, uh large crops. Um, I I I I'm hopeful that it won't. I think yeah, there's too, always yeah. going to be a um a really powerful, valuable place for a whole plant and which is mm-hmm. something that I love about this product is you know, we can we can subdivide it and I think it'll be wise for us to do that to um, take particular products out of the whole plant and concentrate it for valuable use in cancer or in particular in- um, in- inflammatory conditions like Crohn's disease and mm-hmm. ulcerative colitis. There's some nice strides happening there. but. By and large, a lot of people get great results from just using the whole plant. And, uh, and, and it's, it's such a wonderful, natural thing to do. I think that will always be there. Uh, yeah. there, we're going to have some pharmaceutical products of and two, but, uh, you know, we've just got to really work toward legalization in a way that, you know, uh, that where we can move quickly and try to get some things locked in that, Expunge records for people who are Mm -hmm. in jail for it, but also, you know, render it uh, something that people can use safely for managing their conditions. I mean, let's face it, everybody's losing their health insurance and Mm -hmm. and our economy is bottoming out uh, soon. There's just no way that it can't. And uh, we're going to need to regulate this product in order to uh, uh, extract the tax dollars from it. And we're going to need to do that quickly but we're also people are going to need to get some medicine. I mean, I practice a lot of telemedicine and we can function as a stopgap for you for mm-hmm. 3 months, you know, for your cholesterol lowering therapy and your blood pressure pill or your antidepressant or but after 3 months you really need to see your doctor again. But, you know, then I have people write back and say I Can't see my doctor. (laughs) I don't. I don't have any health insurance. I don't have two hundred dollars to go see my doctor, and then another seventy dollars to pick up my medicine. You know, then you got to figure out something else. And there's a a huge number of people. There's millions of people that are going to need powerful natural remedies.
0: Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I agree. I think that um, certainly, like the whole plant, um, cannabis space, I, I. I do see that persisting into the future and maybe if the fda does end up taking a hard stance on the commercial products um maybe that just ultimately drives people to explore the plant you know themselves more to experiment with cultivation and making their own products and stuff you know who knows um that would be kind of a a nice future to see because there's also therapy in just growing something you know it, yeah. It, you know, just just taking care of a plant can be extremely therapeutic. Uh, one thing I wanted to shift gears a little bit to talk about something that is uh, on a lot of people's radar now: talking about hemp, which is CBG. Um, mm-hmm. Have you have you done much reading into some of the available research and clinical applications of CBG? And can you speak to how it um, is similar or different to CBD? Because that's mostly how. A lot of consumers are comparing it right now. It's just trying to figure out how it's how does it compare to CBD.
1: Yeah, you know, I try to avoid uh, talking a lot about test tubes and petri dishes. In, and mm-hmm. a lot of what we know about CBD or what we think we know about CBD is test right. tube and petri dish information, and not really. Yep like human beings and how human beings are responding. But even with that said, you know, CBG does appear to be a a very powerful immune-modulating cannabinoid, uh, more so than CBD or CBN or CBC Mm -hmm. or any of the other ones that are, you know, relatively easy to isolate and Mm -hmm. present in high enough levels that we can actually isolate and study them. So there's uh, certainly some value to uh, to thinking about CBG for immune modulation, especially now. A CBG infused CBN is uh, not a bad thing to think about putting in your medicine cabinet for this winter, just to uh, to give yourself that potential for further uh, immune modulation. Yeah. And, and, uh, there's, I think that as we see the pharmaceutical industry step up and have a bigger role here, they'll probably be doing some CBG concentrations for particular immune conditions like the Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. That might be a place where we see a CBG infused, uh, or CBG prominent product, you know, uh, uh, have have an important role.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's very important what you pointed out that so much of the research around CBG right now is all, you know, most, mostly in vitro, um, stuff. So it's, um, it is very hard to draw any conclusions about that. Um, which is, you know, I've I've had mixed feelings about CBG kind of rushing to market so fast because of that. It's like, I don't know anything. (laughs) You know, it's, uh, it's hard to, uh, to say much about it without getting, you know, really deep into speculation. Um, but from what I've heard from people that are now taking CBG that have reported it, some of them have said that the, uh, like the stimulating effects of low doses of CBG is more powerful than CBD. Um, cause I had several people complain to me that they can't sleep when they take it. Mm. Um, which is interesting. Um, and then I've had a couple of people tell me that it seems to help them with gastrointestinal issues. Um, but once again, I'm like, I, I can speculate on why that might be, but um just don't really... Much
1: yeah. Yet. Yeah. And I don't have enough individual. I mean, I do think if you're in this industry for enough time and you talk to enough people uh, and you, you treat enough patients that you can start to say my professional experience, like right. a do- yeah. a doctor who's like possibly 30 years old, probably can't say that. But when you get into a doctor who's 50 years old and they've been yeah. seeing patients for 20 years, their medical experience from medical school is still pretty Fresh in their minds, but they also have seen a lot of patients. They can start to say, you know, my 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 expertise would suggest. Um, and so, but but I haven't seen enough people who have been on a CBG uh, enhanced infusion to where I can you know tell you anything particular mm-hmm. about it, other than what I've read in the studies. It's just uh, fairly new to be using those products. But I think we're going to see some nice immune modulation in the future.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And to start to wrap things up, because we we've been talking for almost an hour now. I really, really appreciate it uh, I wanted to ask you um what do you see on the horizon for you um kind of what uh over the next couple yeah. of years uh do you have planned and uh what and to tack onto that, what has you kind of particularly excited um about the future?
1: Well, I think really the key to cannabis getting anywhere is going to be education. I mean, yeah. uh, very simple educational tools in the middle school and high school level that, uh, that, get, that get us away from reefer madness and, uh, and, and drug war type philosophy into uh, thinking about having conscious conversations about products that you're using and how those products could be impacting you and your friends. Having conversations with your parents about safety for different products. And that, that's probably going to be a two-way conversation in those communities where people are educating in both directions. You know, so I I think those are those are the education is very powerful in that community. But we're also going to need to have people ready to talk to anybody who's ready to bring these uh, products into their into their life. So that's I I developed this uh, cannabis coaching community that I am just absolutely obsessed with. (laughs) It's so (laughs) much fun growing it and talking to people and helping people have the data that they need to be. Really successful in talking to people and also having products that they can sell. I don't, I don't personally have a product, but if I can, you know, work with my community and offer them products that are uh, high quality and valuable, then they have yeah. the tools that they will need to, uh, you know, to give to give their community a uh, a leg up and give them some some extra stuff. Like for example, I just introduced to them a a hemp pre roll. That works really well in people who need to chill out more urgently. And, right. and, yeah. and, and rather than taking a tincture, you can take a few inhalations from uh, what very much looks like a cannabis cigarette, like a joint, mm-hmm. except it's hemp. And so you get all of the relaxation and the relief from the hemp instantly from that yeah. inhalation that's really helpful for breakthrough anxiety symptoms yeah. for, you know, autism that is having a uh, a breakthrough. You want a product that's going to have a fairly immediate impact to help relieve symptoms. And so those have been a huge hit uh, in in this coaching community uh, and a great thing that they can offer all of the people that they're working with.
0: Yeah, totally. And And something you mentioned that I'm particularly excited about, too, is facilitating this conversation with uh, younger people, one of the first interviews I ever did, technically the first interview, although it wasn't the first episode, but the first interview I ever did for the podcast was with a friend of mine that does health and wellness education, particularly with high school students and early college students around drug education and that sort of thing and One of the topics that came out of that interview that has been on my mind a lot that I'm looking forward to doing some work on is facilitating a discussion with teenagers and their parents around what does responsible cannabis use look like? What does adult responsible use look like? Um, and, and of course, talking about, you know, what do we know about how cannabis affects a developing brain and all these things? But I think that, that con- especially as cannabis is being legalized in so many places or medical cannabis is being legalized in so many places, I think it's very important for us to have this broad discussion of like, what does responsible use look like? We have conceptions of what responsible alcohol use looks like um, to some degree. Um, but, uh, we're not really having that conversation with cannabis very much. What does too much cannabis use look like? Uh, what does, you know, uh, what forms of cannabis might be more, uh, harmful to your health than others, all sorts of different, different things like that, that, um, I, I think, um, you know, can make a profound impact, um, I know personally, just from friends of mine, a story that I, I've told before, but I had a really, one of my best friends back in high school, um, his relationship with his mother got very compromised because she found a bong in his closet and didn't know how to react. So she called the police. And so oh, he wo- and so he woke up with a police officer standing above him and um, had a whole series of things. And where I'm from in my little town, in rural Mississippi, if you get arrested for something, then all the police know you. And then they start to watch you and target you from that point on. Um, so I've had several friends that have left my hometown simply because they get harassed by the police constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I look at, at just that example and I'm like, gosh, you know, like she didn't have to do that. Like there was a conversation to be had there that could have, you know, really steered that situation in a better direction. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Yeah. but I mean,
1: then people just automatically go to this place that the, that the uh, child is, you know, in danger and that this is a gateway drug and that you're going to. You know move yeah. to the uh to, to these higher level drugs so you have to nip this in the bud and all of that is just uh is just is patently untrue you know there's yeah. no evidence that that cannabis is a gateway drug and there's no risk of reefer madness any more than there's a risk of any other i mean people do show up in acute psychotic breaks mm-hmm. after having used cannabis but it's the uh, it's at the same rate or you know at, at certainly at the same levels when somebody uses cocaine or even alcohol in in a predisposed mm-hmm. brain uh, so so there's situations like that where people definitely should not be using the product because it can enhance some a, 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 a process that's already in place
0: yeah. and boy
1: I just talked to a fellow at a uh, conference recently who his daughter had a psychotic break and he was. You know, I'm really uh, upset about that particular comment from me, but then when I asked him if she had ever had any auditory or visual hallucinations before the break, she in fact had. She'd been having these hallucinations for a while and he was like, well, what do you think that meant? And well, it meant that she was at risk and really shouldn't have been using any substances until she saw, you know, somebody who could help her manage what was probably an early schizophrenia that had gone undiagnosed. Mm -hmm. And So it, it, there's, you know, it, it, any substance could have pushed her into, you know, the next steps with her uh, psychiatric condition.
0: Yeah, exactly. You have these, you know, what, what they call precipitating events um, mm-hmm. for, for right. mental health issues. Yeah. And, and, you know, what I often tell people, you know, having learned from my own battles with depression, and anxiety, but also from my wife's work, you know, that it can take until year 25 or so before underlying mental health conditions sometimes really, um, make themselves known. And so it's kind of a, it's a sensitive time. And yeah, if you're experiencing any, um, either positive symptoms or negative symptoms, flat affect, or, you know, different things like that, it's, um, it becomes a much bigger gamble to, yeah, experiment with anything that influences your consciousness in any way, because, um, it just takes that bit of stimulus to be that precipitating event, no matter what it is. And it doesn't even have to be a substance. It can be a trauma. It can be, you know, uh, all sorts of different things, experiences. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, that's one of the areas where I see that, um, the education with kids can really be valuable, um, and help people avoid, um, either avoid a, a bad experience or, be able to conceptualize that experience and understand what's happening and be able to get help in a effective efficient way um, and so yeah that's that's all all super super exciting um well, I want to be respectful of your time. I know I'm sitting here rambling um <laughs> as go over an hour but um thanks so much uh Dr. Clifton for being willing to talk to me this long um about canvas I know we'll have Tons more to talk about, and I'm sure through TIOCM we'll we'll end up doing some some interesting things together, and hopefully facilitate some of these um, these kinds of conversations that that need to be had with people. So,
1: oh yeah, yeah absolutely. TIOCM is going to be great for educating people, and then of course I have my own. Uh... Uh, you know, uh, coaching certification to check out at the Cannabinoid Protocol—a very supported coaching community that provides a lot of mentorship and and helps you to achieve the goals you want to achieve within the uh, cannabis space. So, yeah. if anyone's interested in that, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to work with you. And of course, any clinical questions—we have people uh, standing by ready to answer those for you too.
0: That's perfect, and that that leads me to my um, to kind of my sign off here. Um, to close out the episode, I want to hand over the platform. Um, let people know your you know your website so they can learn more about the cannabinoid protocol um, and really anything else that you want to share with the listeners, um, any resources you want to connect them to or um, or any last thoughts as well um, to kind of wrap things up. I'll basically hand over the podcast to you.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, the cannabinoid protocol coaching program is nearly 50 videos of all kinds of topics. All of these, you know, 40-minute uh, videos that I've prepared uh, for people to learn about how to use uh, cannabis and uh, and CBD for anxiety, insomnia, chronic pain, movement disorders, autism, like we've talked about, but also gut health, seizure, cancer immunity, metabolism, uh, lots of different, uh, lots of different tools for people. And then we have regular meetings, uh, with a, a very high level of support and, uh, it, it, and then, uh, products that you can sell to your community. But if you're interested in only a small portion of that, or if you're just interested in affiliating so that you can sell products, we have all of those systems in place for you. So, uh, you know, you can you can be the uh, uh, Amway or the Herbalife of uh, CBD and cannabis in your neighborhood if you want to. I'm happy to help you with that. Nice. But- yeah. Yeah, it's just very important, super important that we have hundreds, thousands of people quickly out there spreading this word and helping people to uh, feel better. You know, some of these ancient pieces of wisdom for healing uh, 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 die away if they don't get honored at some point. And and we have have to really respect and honor the people who have carried this wisdom forward for us so that we can uh, spread the word now. Uh, it's, it, because we, we did almost lose it in, in a hundred years of prohibition. So it's, it's time now for cannabis and CBD and psilocybin eventually to, um, to reach the, uh, the status and prominence that it deserved and should have had all along.
0: Yeah. I couldn't put it better myself. That's perfect all right well everyone listening thanks so much for tuning in and and checking out this conversation um don't forget to on youtube look up uh mary clifton md and you'll find a lot of her uh, free videos as well and you can learn more about um her work there and if you want to learn more about curious about cannabis you can check us out at cacpodcast.com or you can find us on facebook instagram or twitter and uh we mentioned uh the institute of cannabinoid medicine several times um that we're still working on getting the website all massaged out and everything for that. We just launched very recently. But if you want to learn more about TIOCM, you can go to TIOCM.org. Thanks so much for listening. Stay curious and take it easy. Bye-bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers.